Welcome to Lead with Kindness, a podcast where we talk about the importance and necessity of kindness and inclusion in any business environment, but especially in Hollywood, which is where we're meaning to transform the culture through showing folks how it's not only possible, but actually easy and really fulfilling to model, teach, and foster kindness in a workplace setting. And today, we have Ruben Garcia, a director from Tom Swift and Nancy Drew, and Kristen Kelly, line producer of Tom Swift. Both of you having come up as ADs. First, let's talk about what an AD is. That's an assistant director, and that is a person who, how would you describe that role, Ruben? Um, I think uh, it sounds very close to director, but it's uh, uh, rather different. The directors um, are very creative in their thought processes and decisions, and the assistant directors deal mostly uh, with logistics of the shoot of an episode. It's more about people management than it is about, um, you know, specific to a script. You're not, you're not deciding things. You do have to be creative in how you encourage people or get things done. But um, it's, it's, it's more about leadership and management. Assistant directors have kind of a notorious reputation for sometimes being people who yell or they're the taskmaster, but in a very harsh way. I've seen them really dress down the people around them. And that's unpleasant to witness and I think is really bad for business. Can you both of you talk about something that you've seen as an AD where it was so unkind and so unproductive? So part one is what was the thing that happened was unkind. Part two is how did that impact in a really negative way the end result, the product, the profitability of this business enterprise that we're on? Oh my goodness. I don't even know where to begin on this one. So I think that especially as a, as a woman coming up through, you know, the early nineties in the DGA training program and as an AD, it was more male than female in general. And there was, the culture was much more about yelling uh, from the top, from the first AD down on the set, yelling commands, yelling at people. There was a very high volume of yelling. Some of the fallout of those things was that you'd have a high turnover, you know, you'd have a lot of PAs quitting or people getting fired or, you know, so, so as far as having to retrain people, um, having to talk people off, out from under a trailer because they're crying. I mean, the kinds of horrible words coming through that walkie talkie blaring across the entire set and base camp were toxic. And that, that makes people even more tired than they already are from working long hours. One particular incident actually was a director that I saw we had a bunch of extras that we had for this show and they weren't professional extras. They were kids that were from a gymnastics team. It was like a, a mostly Asian gymnastics team. Girls mostly, I'd say from the ages of seven to 10. And they were supposed to be hostages um, in a, uh, a hospital environment or something like that. And the director wanted to make them seem scared and cry and be freaked out. Um, but these are just kids that were excited to be on a TV set, to be perfectly honest, right? So it it got pretty ugly when he was like yelling at them and telling them horrible, scary things. And they end up having to take them out and kind of have to explain how this all worked and talk them out of it and then kind of get them back into a place where we could shoot the scene. But it was 
it was unpleasant to witness and it was unpleasant. I, I hope that they're not scarred, but it was not, it was not professional at all. Yikes. Yeah. That sounds awful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Especially yeah. when, you know, you bring children into the uh, conversation. Yeah. And then for anybody who's incredibly cynical saying like, well, that person needed to get the job done. What that cost the production in money per minute was thousands and thousands of dollars. Every time you slow the set down, every time you walk people off, you got to walk them back on. Everybody is burning money while Mm. you're waiting to fix the result of something unkind. Yeah, I never really thought about it that way, but that's absolutely true. I was very good when I was a second AD working for screamers because I would run interference and offset their energy Um, which I would actually absorb and find myself more stressed out um, trying to keep the rest of our production staff calm or running, you know, like I said, running interference, uh, running interference with department heads that worked on set that weren't happy with the first AD. And so it was like the first, those first ADs would love me because things would run smoother and they probably in their mind were taking credit for it. In the meantime, I was the, you know, I was the one who was putting it all on my on my shoulders and trying to fix it and it just a lot a lot of that was unpleasant and again I just thought you know one day when I'm sailing the ship it's just not going to be this way I don't think it has to be this way so I think it's interesting that like and it's important for anybody in any position to know that sometimes uh, truth to power can really pay off I remember I my boss at one point I was a first AD back on I won't list the names of the shows, but um, <laughs> um, who came in and just screamed at me in front of the whole crew, oh, no. like yelled at me about, I don't even remember what it was about, whether it was like, mm-hmm. you know, somebody was waiting in their trailer or who knows what it was about. Mm-hmm. But it was the same person that had promoted me to this position. And I ended up after this whole episode where people were like, are you okay? Are you okay? Cause I was kind of, it was like being sideswiped mm-hmm. and I had somebody cover set and I went in right away to his office and I was like, you know, when you do something like that, you completely undermine my ability to lead the set. Mm-hmm. You don't, you are not helping yourself mm-hmm. by screaming at me. If you have something to say to me, pull me aside. But doing that in front of the entire crew, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't mm-hmm. make you look better and it mm-hmm. doesn't help me. Yeah. So we need really to come true. up with a different way to communicate. Yes, it's really true. I think people, you know, forget what people remember. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they go in and they blow off some steam and they feel like they flexed their muscle a little bit and then they feel good about that. And what they're not taking into account is that really people lose respect for you when mm-hmm. you do that. I also now want to bring it around to the more positive side of all of this because we've all been in toxic situations, the three of us on this you know, conversation, and we have turned it around in our own different ways. I'm going to talk to Ruben and Kristen in just a second about how they did that, specifically in the area of team building. But the way that I love to team build is based on a quote from the guy who wrote The Little Prince, San Exupery, he said, if you want to teach somebody to be a great shipbuilder, don't teach them how to hammer a nail. Teach them to love the sea. So I really try to do that. When I bring people onto a writing staff or into any kind of creative environment, I really think about what the big picture is that we all love as storytellers, our sense of wonder that sparked us as kids. What is it that we want the audience to feel? Let's think big. And then the rest of it really will start to fall into place. So when you assemble a team, let's start with Kristen. What are your strategies for team building over the long term when you crew up a show with an eye to kindness and inclusion? Well, first of all, I think just to put some credit where it's due, Melinda, I think that when you know that you're going into a situation where upper management supports 
a process of inclusion and, and kindness, it makes it so much easier. We'll start with that point. <laughs> but it's not always the case. And from my own experience, knowing that when I've been in a situation where I'm constantly worried about getting fired, I don't bring my best self. I don't bring my creativity. I don't bring my problem solving because, you, you know, you don't want to risk anything. You're just trying to prevent yourself from getting in trouble. So when you hire people, I think that a lot of times they've come from similar circumstances. So I think right up front, first of all, you talk to people about what their past experiences have been. Take the time to do the research and talk to people who know them in and outside of work if you can. And then when you do meet them and talk to them, right up front, you kind of explain your own philosophy of really not wanting to get anybody in trouble, that that's never the environment that, and then share as much as you can about what the project is and what are the important parts of it in terms of the bigger picture. I had a key grip tell me at one point, he said, you know what, I've never had a line producer talk so long to me ever, like involve themselves or ask what I think or you know, let them read the script, what they think about the whole project. Because like you said, everybody is drawn to this for storytelling. So if you tap into what they think about things and, you know, show them that you care about what they think, you're going to get more buy-in right off the top. Just a clarification, sorry, Kristen, for the audience. A key grip, how would you describe the job of a key grip? (laughs) So you have grips and electrics. The electrics bring the power and the grips bring the shadows that control where the light is going. So, it's, so it's, they build things and they, you know, have big flags and they mm-hmm. bounce light around, but they're kind of controlling the the fill and the shadows of any given light without mm-hmm. touching electricity. Right. So from the outside, it could look like manual labor, but in fact, it's extremely creative and can make all the difference between whether you see the actor's reaction to a profound moment. Mm. If I can't see their face, I can't use that take. They're essential, like everybody on set. So please continue. But I love that you you know, had this conversation with the key grip. But the key is the person in charge of that department. Yeah. So I think that a lot of times people do, when they're hiring, they think of them as just, you know, construction worker types or hammers or, you know, people that don't, you know, that don't care about movie making. But most people could find an easier line of work than working on a set. So you can't make that assumption. I think that, you know, explaining that it's a collective uh, a collective effort and that as I am, you know, their line producer, I am aware that what they bring to the table is important and that I am, I won't always have all the resources that they need, you know, to have the most money or whatever. But I do know that because I'm hiring them and their big brain for their department, they're going to come to me with solutions. And that's what I'm hiring them for. I'm hiring them for their ability to bring solutions when we come up against challenges, because we will always have challenges. And I'm not interested in the finger pointing process. I'm really interested in the taking note of what the problem is in the moment, and then collectively trying to figure out how we can get out from underneath whatever that problem is. And I think that uh, when people hear that, and they know that, and when you exercise it, you're going to get more efficiency, more productivity, more joy on set, and the day will go faster. I mean, I, I know that I, when I, yeah, when I've been in a situation where I either don't feel valued, I don't feel seen, I don't feel heard, you know, it's demoralizing. The day feels longer. So that's, I don't know. Does that answer your question? It does. I heartily agree with all of it. Um, and I'll come back to one other thing on the Tom Swift crew, but first, Ruben. You have a very different situation for team building when you walk onto a set as a director who's visiting a show. Maybe you've never been on that set before. Maybe you haven't worked with those people before. 
And how do you team build in this really compressed time frame between, let's say, you know, seven days of prep and eight days of shooting? You have to assemble an army, take the objective, and get it done on time, on schedule, deal with a hundred different things you had no idea were coming your way. How do you do that? Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> one of the first things I do is I try to... I try to let, well, when you, when you first start a show, like if it's a, a series you haven't done before, you're going to come across kind of essentially two types of your crew, those that are in the prep process and those that are in the actual on the set in the shooting process. So, so I usually encounter the prep folks first, the, the producer, line producer, showrunner, first AD, production designer, whatnot. And so um, one of the first things I do is just, I, at least I try to present myself as um approachable. And, uh, and another thing I'll start doing on purpose, um, is I start asking them their thoughts. So if we're on a set and I'm prepping with the, um, director of photography or the first AD or the production designer, I'll, I may have some initial thoughts after reading the scene and seeing the location or locations. And then I'll say, well, what do you think? And I'll ask um, the line producer, well, what do you think about this? Do you know, is this work for us or should we do this? And a lot, I've I found a lot of times people are taken when they hear the question because they're probably not asked that very often. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give people skin in the game. And when they have skin in the game and they feel like they can contribute to this director that you may have just met, um, you get them on your side, you get them on the team. And now I think you get better performance out of them because they're, they feel like they're contributing to telling the story of that episode. Um, and so when I go to um, the set, I'll do the same thing. I'll ask the A camera or the steady cam operator, you know, I'd like to do the shot here. I always had this idea da 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 da. but what do you think? Is there a better way to do this? And they, they get to contribute with their opinion or their thoughts or um, same thing with the prop person. If they bring me four different, uh, choices on something, I'll say, well, I, I kind of like this one, but what do you think is going to be the best for this? Or I'll ask the actor as well. So it's really trying to get people to have skin in the game and make choices. Um, and and then I hear their choice and I can either decide yes or no, but now, now you got them on your side. And now morale picks up and people feel like you're approachable. And all of a sudden, I think you get performance out of crew and actors that you prob you may not have gotten otherwise. So that's a very conscious thing that I'll do. Is a, and, I, and it's not um, a trick to be a trick. I really want to hear what somebody thinks because they could have a better idea or a different idea. And I didn't think of it that way. And the fun thing is I get to take credit for it because at the end it <laughs> says directed by Ruben Garcia. But it right. was because, you know, the A operator contributed something that I hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes them happy. It makes me happy. It makes the episode better mm -hmm. for the showrunner, for the, for the network and the studio. And it's like it's a win-win, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, last, year, last year I was working on a show and... I was walking a set with the production designer and I specifically said we were trying to figure out how we're going to turn a space into like a hospital reception area. And I said, well, maybe we should put this over here and the front desk will be over there. And then and I asked the production designer, well, what do you think? And he goes, well, well you know, it's whatever you want. And I go, well, I, I know that. But <laughs> but what do you think? What, it, you know, are these choices that I'm making? Is this work for you? Or And he and he goes, I, he got flustered. and He goes, I, I, I don't understand what you're asking me. <laughs> And I said, I'm asking you your opinion. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know what you think about this. And, and he said, I I'm sorry, I've never been asked that before. Oh I just, I'm told what to do usually, and then we do it. Uh, and so he goes, I I'm just a little thrown. And I go, well, let this be the first time. 
you know, like, I really want to know what you think. And, and it just got a, it got something out of him. He was charged after that. Like somebody asked me what I thought, you know, and so anyway, so you have a short period of time and that's one of the things that I'll do is I really want to know what people think as we're going through the process. I love that. I could see the results of that when you were on set for Nancy Drew. And I had the privilege of basically shadowing Ruben for a block shoot of two episodes. So I saw you day in, day out doing this. And also what I loved about how you ran the set was that you would tell not just the camera operator or the lighting people, or you would tell the actors what your plan was, which yeah. some people don't do. They hold it back like it's a mystery and I'm yeah. the great Oz and you don't need to know because you just act your little thing and hit your mark and say your line. He would say to the actors, Today, we're going to shoot this big entry into the gates of Icarus Hall, and it is a mysterious place. I'm going to start way up top. You see this camera pointing down. We're going to get this wide coverage. You can save your big performance because I'm not even going to see your face, your little specks, but it's exciting. <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. this big, gloomy hall, and here you are investigating it. Then we're going to come down to the floor, and then we're going to start to pick off coverage. And then they understood the big picture of it. They understood how their energy was going to work in the storytelling of the episode as a whole. And they were so invested and so ready for whatever you needed because you had trusted them. Yeah, I did that. Um, I don't know where I started or why I did that because mm -hmm. I never really saw a director do that. Mm -hmm. But I do try to kind of give them the, the game plan that's in my head. Mm -hmm. So now they're all on board with, with that, exactly. So it might be where I we do the blocking and we figure all of that technical stuff out. And then I kind of take the actors and the crew as they're all watching the marking rehearsal and say, I'm gonna pick this off. You know, the TV audience hasn't been in this location yet. So mm -hmm. we should do a wide shot mm -hmm. and let them know where they're at. And then mm -hmm. I'm not gonna cut to a close up from a wide. So we'll, we'll punch in and do medium shots. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and I say, and I'm gonna put these two actors in the same frame and these two actors in the same frame because the story shows that they have a connection and they have a connection. And then I'm gonna actually save the singles for these two actors because you know halfway through the scene, there's a turning point and it mm -hmm. gets more intimate with character A and character D. So I'm gonna save the, the tight singles just for those two staring at each other. Mm -hmm. And then everybody goes, whoa. Yeah, the crew and the actors go, oh, okay. Now they know what we're gonna do for the next two hours or three mm -hmm. hours and everybody's on board. Right. And uh, again, it was not like anything I ever thought about it but it's become something that I do mm -hmm. and and now you got the whole crew and all the acting department on board right and it's a game changer oh yeah you know? absolutely I did a version of that you know when I run a room I send out an email on Sunday afternoon to say here's the schedule for the week and I tell them you know this day we've got a screening so I know I'm not going to be in the room from 11 o'clock onward so you know that'll be a time for either independent study or you're going to have the room to yourselves to work on some story problems if there's an afternoon where it's just too busy for any of the upper level writers to be in there and run things I say this is independent study so people can plan their dentist appointments you mm -hmm. know <laughs> they can know like okay that's the day I get to go to the bank and then this document is due this day. We'll round table it the next day. We'll have this many days for the writer to turn around the notes that we've given as a group to make this episode better. And everybody is in the same kind of, you know, non-hierarchical organizational flow. And people so appreciate knowing what their week is going to look like. And it's really, you know, not a mystery. It's kind of like, I know what the week's going to look like. Why should it be a secret? I want people to know that I respect their time and for them to plan accordingly and for them to really be there when they're there. And we'll start on time, we'll end on time. And then they will know what their life is going to look like. I get such better performance out of people and just more morale, as you say, but also more like a team spirit. People want to pitch in. People want to stay late. They're exactly. totally fine if I say, you know, 
a half hour before we were supposed to wrap up the day, I might say, looks like we're on a roll and is everybody okay with staying 15 minutes later? And if you're not, that's totally cool because I said we were done at five today. And people will almost always say, yes, I can. Or they might say, I'm really sorry, I have an appointment that I scheduled and I'll be like, totally cool. But at least we're all on the same page. It's not people waiting, holding their breaths, wondering what kind of edict is going to be handed down from the mountaintop. And, you know, it's interesting. That, that 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 seems like a very different culture too than it was even 20 years ago. I remember never ever scheduling a doctor's appointment or a <laughs> dental appointment, any having anything like that during a show. Just waiting until the entire mm-hmm. show season was over to do any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And now I think that there is more openness to letting people take care of themselves a little bit. Yeah, it's so silly that people don't think mm-hmm. about that. But I mean, uh, maybe silly is not the right word. It is counterproductive because you can organize your own time better. That saves you money. You get a better performance out of your team. That makes you money. (laughs) It's not just being Mm -hmm. nice. It's not just being kind of like warm and fuzzy considerate, although I think that is also valuable in and of itself. But everything that Ruben and Kristen, you've talked about um, thus far, I think really points to one of my favorite proverbs. The mark of a good leader is when people say, she did it for us. But the mark of a great leader is when people say, we did it ourselves. And I think that's really true for the teams that you have both led, and I really commend you for that. One small sidebar, which is not um, a sidebar in that, I think it's absolutely critical to the process. Back to Kristen and your hiring, when you're hiring the crew, our crew on Tom Swift was the most diverse I've ever worked with. It was fantastic to see so many people of color, so many people of different intersectional identities, LGBTQ, all sorts of things happening in their lives and that they brought to the storytelling process on set how did you manage to make such a diverse and inclusive crew? Um, every single person, first of all, I did a wide reach. I tried to collect as many resumes from as many different kinds of sources as I possibly could. Um, not necessarily the normal mainstream, not all from agents, not all from you know the previous show, not all from even at the time CW shows, whatever, whoever I knew and it, this was in Georgia, whoever I knew that knew somebody or had finished, I collected probably 25, 30 different crew lists and started going through and comparing and talking to people. And then once I would get someone into the office after a couple of phone calls, you know, researching in advance, I would explain to them what, you know, our sh- our show, Tom Swift was very much the, the core of that show and its content was to be very inclusive and have people of color and a wide range of, you know, orientations. And I would explain that at the front of every department, transpo, construction, everyone. I said, listen, this is the kind of show it is. This is the kind of environment that I'm trying to create. This is the, um, I want anybody that I hire to be on the same page with that and to seek out, you know, diversity and, you know, make a little bit of a reach into places maybe you haven't before and bring in people that you haven't worked with before. And um, that's those are the the department heads that I want to hire, the ones that can stay on the same page of the priority of hiring. And if I got buy-in from them, then that would be where we would start the hiring process. Um, and I said, if you're ever if you're uncomfortable with you know transgender, if you're uncomfortable with any of these kinds of things, or this is something that you lean away from, then maybe this isn't the right show for you. If this is not the right crew for you, then not, but this is the environment that I'm building. And so either you're on board or you're not on board, but it's, it, it takes longer though. I'll tell you, you definitely, it's, it's harder work to not just lean into whatever, you know, from before or, 
you know, work with people that you worked with on the previous show and the previous show, you, you have to take a little bit of a risk. And I think that another thing that I would just remind them is, listen, I know maybe you're going to find somebody that would be a good fit for the culture, but maybe doesn't have quite as much experience or doesn't have quite the, hasn't been in the industry as long. And I said, and and that's okay. That's okay. Because, you know, as we will give you the manpower that you need, we will take a little bit of time and we'll, and there is forgiveness. If somebody makes a mistake in the learning process, th- that's normal. You're, you're not going to be, you're not going to be held up as an example in front of other people to say, look at this guy screwed up because it's, it is all a collective process and you have to give people opportunities to learn things and they will make mistakes. If they're not making mistakes, they're not trying hard enough. I love that. I love that. And you did a a wonderful job, Kristen. Thank you again. I think for me, when I'm leading people, the way that I project calm is to not worry about who looks good in that moment. I find that in the writer's room, if somebody has an idea and I'm thinking, oh, I had that idea five minutes ago. I've worked in many writer's groups where people are like, that's what I was going to say. Or I had that idea, only here's another spin on it that makes it seem like my version of it is a little bit better than yours. What I find is really empowering, not just to the team, but to me, is to let other people be the hero. And this comes back to another one of my favorite proverbs, which is that all rivers run down to the ocean because it's lower than they are. So the sea gains its power from its humility. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot during the course of a day as a showrunner. And I think about that when I have creative conversations with people and I really want to invite their input and I really want to get excited about what they bring to the process because like you said, you know, they're all in it for the love of it, really. They could do a lot of other things. You'd be surprised how many people on a, on a film crew below the line that are, you know, craftspeople, prop people, grip electrics, camera people, went to film school. Oh, yeah. They all mm-hmm. have this a heart of a storyteller. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few that if they were in Detroit, they'd make tires or mm-hmm. wherever. You know, they were in St. Louis, they'd make beer or whatnot at Anheuser-Busch. But a lot of these folks, even though they didn't wind up specifically in a writer's chair or a director's chair, are very creative. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, you y- you do get a lot of good ideas. And showing humility is a great thing. Mm-hmm. I learned to embrace that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think coming up, it was like, though, the director, you've got to have all the ideas and have all the decisions. And and um, with every script there, I can read it and know, oh, these handful of scenes, I know exactly what I want to do. And these handful of scenes come to me somewhere during prep. And there's always two or three scenes that we get on the shooting day, and I have no clue. <laughs> what to do and (laughs) what I've learned over the years was it's okay to tell the crew that for me Mm -hmm. Um, I know that this needs to happen in the scene or that needs to happen but I'm not quite sure how to connect the dots and I'll be damned if the actor doesn't speak up and say Mm -hmm. what if I do this Mm -hmm. or the script supervisor goes well what about if you did this that and then all of a sudden I have a scene that's better than I thought I could have had because people were contributing and and owning that that humility of going mm-hmm. I don't quite have all the answers here let's figure this mm-hmm. out together mm-hmm. is a it was a great thing right. you know when they see that uh-huh they people respond to that yeah. and they want to lift you up totally and i love the you know a related part of that which is that when you look at everybody around you as like i see the greatest version of you that maybe you don't even see but i want to bring it out i need your help i need the greatest version of you to help me in this moment and then when you're focused on that when you're focused on bringing out the greatest version of somebody else your own issues kind of go away 
that's what I find anyway. You're just talking about the work. Yeah. And you're looking at somebody as a collaborator, as a peer, who can really bring something to it because of who they are. And I think that is a great way to maintain calm. I encourage everybody to mm -hmm. try it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is about where we're going to get to oh, okay. on this episode. <laughs> I want to thank Ruben Garcia, director, former AD. Thank and you. Kristen Kelly, line producer, former AD, for coming in to lead with kindness and talking in great depth and candor about what can go wrong, what can go right, how they build teams and how they lead with kindness and inclusion. Thank you so much. This Thank is you. really fun. Thanks, Melinda. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's conversation and be sure to subscribe to Lead with Kindness so that you get the next conversation as soon as it comes out. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and a review for us. Thanks and see you next time.